there is a power that lies dormant within each of us. A creative force waiting to be awakened. Potentials of mind science barely understands. Harnessing the energies of consciousness is the next chapter in human evolution. Join us as we explore the secrets of mind and the technology and people behind the revolution. This is the Mind Warrior Project. This is Zygon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Mind Warrior Podcast. I'm Rob Hopping. In this special two-part episode, Dane interviews Ken Kyes, author, teacher, and creator of the Living Love Personal Growth System. Ken wrote 15 books, sold millions of copies, and was praised by world leaders for his work. Nobel Peace Prize laureate Desmond Tutu said, Ken Kyes teaches us how to truly be human through the power of unconditional love. Our hope for survival depends on learning to love ourselves and one another unconditionally, and Ken shows us how. What's extraordinary about this interview is it was recorded in 1993, just 28 months prior to Ken's death, and until now has never been heard in a public venue. This is an amazing historical record of a conversation with a very special human being and a true mind warrior. There's a lot of material to cover here, so we've broken it into two parts. In part one, Ken answers the question, what is happiness? He explains why it's so difficult for people to be happy. He talks about unconditional love and explains the power of the mind and our natural ability to tap into universal consciousness. At the end of the interview, Dane and I will unpack it a bit and discuss the meaning of it all, some 28 years later. So here now is part one of Dane's 1993 interview with Ken Kyes. What is happiness? Well, happiness to me means relaxed enjoyment. I'm relaxed when I don't feel there's a threat to me in some way, bodily or emotionally or intellectually or spiritually. Just relaxed. And enjoyment means that I can tune in to the here and now and enjoy what's going on. I might be walking around and that's relaxed enjoyment, no threat and just noticing the flowers or the trees or whatever I can see. And obviously that's a state of mind that everybody wants. Yes, and it's the remarkable thing that animals in the wild live in this state of relaxed enjoyment, I guess 99% of the time. Every now and then they're threatened. Uh, There's a lion uh, uh, trying to find some dinner and there's a cute little zebra out there and so it'll try to get it for dinner. Now obviously that's not going to be very relaxing for the zebra. So it'll leave the relaxed enjoyment and do what it needs to do to run away to protect itself. But then it very rapidly uh, gets back to relaxed enjoyment. Things happen so fast in the animal world. Either the zebra gets eaten up or he escapes. And it'll happen probably within a few minutes, you see. So most of their lives, I think 99%, will be spent in something that uh, I feel we could call relaxed enjoyment. Now, the poignant part of this is how do we humans stack up? And it's really shocking. I think we spend 99% of our lives uh, not having relaxed enjoyment. We are armored, we uh, perceive threats, and of course, uh, animals don't have a rational mind that can project in the future and worry about the past. 
they're always right here now. And so we have this state where we deserve and should have relaxed enjoyment, well, let's say 99% of our life, like your dog or your cat or uh, any of the mammals. So why, why is that so difficult for humans to achieve? It's because of the great multiplicity of the games that we set up to play. And these games have a win-loss position. And most of us are trained by our parents to be uh, based on fear and guilt and shame. In other words, um, that our parents try to control us through making us uh, feel fear, guilt, or shame, or threatening us with things that will make us feel fear, guilt, and shame. So there's a need for a, for a human being to be continually armored and protected. And even if things seem very peaceful and safe and you're enjoying what's happening right now, still your mind can project in, I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow and next day and next year. And so we're not living in the now, but we're using our mind literally to drive ourselves crazy. <laughs> Uh, uh, in, in one of your books you talk about the secrets of happiness. Yeah. And uh, I recall Thoreau writing of massive men lead lives of quiet desperation. That, that, that's it. Quiet desperation. And sometimes not so quiet. And uh, uh, you also write that we only really experience flashes or, or moments of happiness. Yeah. And is this because of is this is this because we're we're constantly thinking about the future and thinking about the past and not living in the now? It's yes, it's because we have so many what I like to call addictive models. An addiction is something that I have to have to let myself feel happy in relaxed enjoyment. And there's so many models that uh, uh, one we humans can have that animals don't get into, generally speaking. They can be trained to be just as neurotic as human beings, you know. All you need to do is uh, give a dog a big whack every time it goes for a bowl of food or whenever you see it, throw a rock at it, and pretty soon it will be not living in 99% relaxed enjoyment. It'll have to feel safe by very carefully figuring out, are you there? And is it, can I run over and grab a bite of food and run back before the rock hits me? Or whatever. There's been a lot of experiments in making dogs and cats neurotic, and it's possible to get them to be quite so th neurotic. So this is a learned behavior, even in humans. In other words, we learn to be not happy? Is that, would that be an accurate way? The cultural social conditions under which we live with increasing complexities in life. In other words, we're a long way from the primitive people living in caves um, out in a natural setting. Their lives are much simpler than ours. Uh, they don't worry about mortgage payments. They just keep hunting till they find a cave that they can build a fire in and feel protected in. And we can just amplify that with, uh, we're dealing with mortgage payments and we're de dealing with, does she love me or does she not love me? Or um, what can I do about my children? Are they growing up to fit my models? And uh, a business? Am I getting promoted? Should I have more wages? Um, and it goes on and on. We, it's like, you know, I could look around this room right now and I'm sure find some fault with it. Uh, um, gee, those um, glasses and um, 
uh, empty can of uh, uh, apple juice. Uh, why don't they get rid of stuff like that rather than, you know, there's no end to how much the human mind can make itself restless and threatened. And so we just um, are creating for ourselves a great deal of turmoil. Now, it's not the glasses or the um, uh, empty can that really causes that. It's the way we look at it from a fear, guilt, and shame base. And is this something that uh, uh, we, we learn as children? And we Parents teach us that, our caretakers. It's unfortunate that the common style of parenting today is to create a sh terrified, shame-based, guilty feeling fearful adult or child that'll grow into an adult. It won't change these habits unless therapy or some type of intervention occurs. And so then that pattern is repetitive because we've learned that behavior right. and then we transfer it to our yeah. children. Right. Let me just give you an example because we don't realize how we are training shame-based children. I know I did it. I wish I could go back and relive those years with what I know now. But the type of parenting I had uh, Let's say uh, I'm in a supermarket with my mother and she's uh, gathering some food off of this shelf and that shelf and her model is that I stay real close to her and not touch anything on the shelves. And she'll uh, tell me that, don't touch anything, come on now. Um, and, but um, as a little kid I would be curious. Uh, What's all these shelves about? What's all these cans about? It's my job at age three to explore the world. What kind of world do we live in? What part in it can I play? So um, I can't see why she wants me to be right with her all the time. Doesn't make much sense to me. I'm right here and I'm right now. So I'll be reaching out and then uh, she could easily uh, and I'm not trying to be hard on our mothers. They were just passing on the habits they got from their parents who got it from their parents. But um, what's happening is that due to lack of parental understanding and skill today, uh, let's say my mother uh, way back then might have said to me, um, Ken, I told you a thousand times, don't touch anything on the shelves. Now stay real close to me. Here, give me your hand. Now, you just look at what happened. Um, there was fear. It's like, Mommy's mad. I can tell from her tone. She's mad at me. I'm not safe when she's mad because she has all the power to do anything. She can spank me when we get home. She can say, well, um, I'll never take you again or whatever type of punishment she might want to do. But just the fact that she's mad now uh, creates uh, fear in me. And then I'll feel guilty because she pointed out she told me a thousand times not to do that. I don't know what a thousand times is, but it sounds pretty bad um, to my little four-year-old mind. So uh, I'm beginning to feel very guilty. And then I'm ashamed of not meeting her models. And so just by that usual conversation, and I'm sure you've been to supermarkets and uh, there'd be a mother and a young child, and what I just enacted as a hypothetical scenario with my mother um, back then, you've probably seen much more abusive language and screaming at the little kid, and it terrifies us. So we are constantly 
looking at ourselves. Am I doing anything that's going to make me feel fear, guilt, or shame? Because those feel terrible, not safe. Mommy won't love me, she'll abandon me, and I'll die. That's the progression that our minds go through. The kid may not be aware of that progression, but that's happening deep down in, on a, programmed on an instinctual basis. So we, the way we train our kids today, and I, it's very rare to see a person that is not basically trying to avoid fear, armoring against fear, preventing anything that might make us afraid, and um, trying to avoid feelings of guilt and of shame which make us feel very, very bad. And so because of that, is that, was that the core cause of unhappiness and unrest, the state that you were... I think this has a lot to do with why it is so difficult for us as adults to spend most of our time in relaxed enjoyment. There's another part of it, though, and that is... It, if we were lucky enough to have parents that were consistently warm for us, you know, a smile when they see us, a feeling of, you're welcome uh, to be with me. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're my little girl, my little boy, so that you feel warmth coming from the parent, loving warmth. And then if the parent is available for me to meet my needs, because little kids are pretty helpless, at age two, three, four, there's not much they can do to meet many of their needs. And so um, when mama or daddy or a caretaker, preferably mama, at least traditionally in the past, when they're not there for me, I feel abandoned. And abandonment equals death on a deep instinctual level. You see, our brains were put together about two, three hundred million years ago in order to survive in the jungle. That is most of our brain. The cerebral cortex that we think with, that wonderful biocomputer upstairs, um, that is a, an evolution of the last 400, uh, actually the last 40,000 years. That's the new brain. But the old brain that we are making it with so much of our life as we depend upon it to um, guide us, it uh, is programmed for jungle conditions. And in a jungle, animals better be paranoid or they'll be someone's supper. For mm -hmm. So uh, what's needed for animals is not needed for us. And yet we have basically animal brains inside of us. With the human addition of that wonderful cortex with its 10 billion cells that makes us able to think. For a number of years you've been teaching the concept of the importance of becoming one with the law of higher consciousness, as you call yeah. it, which is uh, unconditional love. Love everyone unconditionally, including yourself. Loving other people really has to begin with yourself, because if there's a way you're not loving yourself, you will hide it, your ego hides it from you, and you project it on other people and accuse them when they're totally innocent, but you have the feeling that they're guilty. It's an unfortunate mechanism that we do automatically until we learn what we're doing and then we get to be more aware, more conscious. So what is unconditional love? Unconditional love means that I love you no matter what you think, say, and do. 
Now, what might come up for you immediately is, well, suppose I hit you, or suppose I um, take some money out of your pocket, uh, or suppose I go out and murder somebody. Can you love uh, a murderer? Is that what unconditional love means? I mean, what happened to right and wrong? What happened to uh, helping people shape up to fit into society? Uh, a lot of people think unconditional love is impossible. But the problem is they don't understand what it is you love. You love the human being who basically is like you. In other words, we are born, or at least when the sperm hits the egg cell and join and begin to grow inside the mother's belly, we literally have everything we need to live a whole, complete, beautiful life and unfold as we should. Um, this might sound rather controversial in a way, but think of a dog. Do you think that a dog doesn't have, isn't born with everything it needs to go through the stages of young doghood and evolve into a beautiful dog? It, it doesn't need to go to dog school in order to learn how to be a mature, fine, loving dog. It does that naturally. And um, so we are, in our essence, such beautiful beings. Sometimes our egos say, i got to hide because I don't want him to know the truth about me. <laughs> See, if you really knew the truth about me, you'd know that I was born such and designed to be such a beautiful, wonderful, loving, cooperative, peaceful, and happy human being. And then came abuse. Now, you can take a dog and abuse it, as I pointed out, and it will um, lose this ability to love. But we're born loving and bonding rapidly to the caretakers around us. We just naturally love, not something that we have to be taught. But if we are abused, and I know most parents, they don't abuse their kids deliberately. They're just living out their programming. And even when they're violent to the children, they think, well, I'm doing it for, my, for their own good. You know how that works. So you can see how we're born so beautiful. And when you do something that doesn't fit my models, and let's say it's something immoral, illegal, or uh, aggressive toward me, what I need to do in order to love you is to realize that in all your essentials, you are like me, but you've been damaged and um, uh, due to various childhood incidents with parents that really didn't understand the skills that are needed to help to stay out of the way of the natural development of a child. And when that happens, you are not you. You're a false self. And with healing, you can become whole again. So I can, uh, if I wish, uh, reject what you do, but I will not reject you because you're just like me. We're all part of a wonderful human partnership. We're really all relatives in the human family. No matter what our skin color or what country we live in, we're all either near or distant relatives. We have such power with this cerebral cortex to do things that are out of the paradigm of the Newtonian Cartesian science. 
uh, we can do things that science has no ability to explain so far because they're trying to do it from a point of view um, that um, the clockwork universe sort of thing. What's happening now it sets up what happens next. It's all a matter of levers and mechanical stuff. And there's something gloriously non-mechanical about consciousness when we let our minds extend out joining with others. It's not something we have to think about doing. But when we're loving, we do this increasingly and naturally. We have mm -hmm. tremendous powers. You teach um, uh, the living love system. Yes. And about this idea that people operate out of different centers. Yes. Could you go into some detail on that? And sure. Um, these are natural uh, scannings of the mind, natural frameworks that we put labels on to understand them better. It happens with animals. Let's say um, there's a loud noise and there's a dog in relaxed enjoyment but it hears a loud noise uh, like a firecracker go off uh, maybe 20 feet away it's going to immediately uh, make a scanning for security get up go look around see what's happening you see uh, so our first scanning is for security and that's pretty important because if we're going to survive and not get killed and leave offspring um, then we'd better keep a certain level of security and responsiveness to conditions that feel unsafe to us. And the second level is sensation. We Let's say the animal stays safe, but it needs to go for certain sensations from uh, an evolutionary point of view, uh, food and sex being two of the big ones. And uh, because if they don't go for the sensations of enjoying food, they will not uh, nourish themselves and won't be able to continue living. Also sex, there needs to be a certain amount of reproduction in order for the race to continue. And of course there's many other ways. Uh, sometimes I remember driving down a country road, uh, the trees were arching over the road and there was a little uh, place where sunlight came in, a, about a six-foot area, and a snake was in the middle of it. And when the snake saw us coming up in the car, it uh, skedaddled along out of the way. Uh, so that undoubtedly was a pleasure on a coolish day to bask in the sun. Um, we have many other ways of getting pleasure, massage, listening to music, watching a sunset, holding the hands of our beloved, and so forth. So that sensation center is a very important center to, uh, to have fulfilled. However, it can... Um, um, get off kilter as we know because a life devoted only to sensations will be lacking in a certain wholeness that uh, won't let it feel fulfilled. Then the third center is the power center. This, um, the emotions that go with the power center are anger and hate and uh, they're simply a way of keeping you out of my turf. In other words, this is my room and when you're in my room, uh, this is not acceptable. Um, it's good old territorialness of animals. Uh, this is my girlfriend. You don't put your arm around her. Or this is my money, and I'll decide how I spend my money. <laughs> that sort of thing. This is all very ego-based. These lower three centers with the um, fears generated by security scanning 
and the um, grief when we don't get the sensations we want, the frustration, and also the feeling of uh, that our territory is being taken over, and that calls for the power, you see. Now, we can then um, go into a very beautiful leap into what we call the higher centers. Now, here's where the fun starts, because obviously um, feeling secure is not going to help you enjoy your life. It's a basic condition you need to take care of in order to feel free to enjoy. And also, uh, the um, you feel very alienated when you look at people as people that can hurt you and threaten you. It's the ego misleading you into feeling that they are dangerous and life is a fight of me versus them. So um, we learn how in the living love way to deal with security, sensation, and power, um, how we can be try to make ourselves too secure and our life won't be balanced and enjoyable or too many sensations uh, become cloying after a while and uh, too much power can tempt us into lots of trouble because we try to solve uh, things that we want solved by pushing or hurting or stealing or uh, killing another person. The next quantum leap is into the love center and love is this feeling of non-separateness between my heart and your heart. Uh, love is not sex, in spite of the fact that we confuse the issue by talking of making love. Um, that's an entirely different behavior. But love is just this feeling of we're so alike and I don't have to protect myself from you. And there's no barriers between us in feeling. And this, of course, is a very beautiful experience to create. And as we grow, we learn to, as human beings, we can be creating this experience more and more to get up toward the high 90s, 90% uh, in feeling this unconditional love for other people. And it starts with unconditional love for ourselves. That is so important because if we are rejecting ourselves, we will not be able to love another person. There's going to be sand in the gears there. So I assume most people are operating out of those first three centers. Most of the time, yes. So that ends part one of an amazing interview with an amazing human being. So I'm going to bring in Dane now, and we're going to drill down a bit into what Ken was saying and how it applies to our world today. So, Dane, how are you doing? I'm doing great. That was quite that was quite an interview. In fact, what a trip down memory lane. 28 years ago. Go back a little bit and talk about how that came to be. Zygon was publishing major authors who were involved in uh, human potential. And Ken was one of them. Ken was a unique, a unique leader in that what he did was he published a number of books like Handbook to Higher Consciousness, The Hundredth Monkey. And I read The Hundredth Monkey back in uh, the late 70s, and I was captivated by this idea uh, that consciousness could somehow spread uh, just by hitting a critical mass. So that was kind of my, my lead into Ken. And so he was one of those authors that we 
uh, pursued to, you know, have him be part of our Zygon family. And so this interview came about, in fact, you were the one that actually went down to his uh, research uh, center, which I believe was in Coos Bay, or- Coos Bay, Oregon. You met him, you met his group and uh, invited him up to uh, our location, which was, in, which was in Redmond, Washington at the time. And uh, we spent a week together. And in addition to doing the interview that you just played the first part of, uh, we developed a course called Pathways to Higher Consciousness. Right. And then the, uh, the interview, the conversation was really a wrap up of the work that we'd done on the workshops. It was really an opportunity for him to express himself and really share his ideas in a form that was very different than he'd ever really done before. And he died, as you know, shortly after we did that. And I don't think people realize his medical conditions and what he endured his whole life. He contracted polio as a young man. He was in his 20s. By the time he was in his 30s, he was in a wheelchair. In fact, when we shot that piece, he was 75 years old. And he doesn't, he doesn't look at Look at his eyes. Yeah, he was, a, he, it was an extraordinary person. But let's break down some of the things that he was talking about, really drill down. And let's start right at the very top where you ask the question, what is happiness? And he answered, relaxed enjoyment. Yeah, I think about that. So what does relaxed enjoyment actually mean? And he defined it, you know, as, as everyone just heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, would, I was sometimes somewhat confused by the term relaxed enjoyment. Well, does that mean I'm lazy? You know, does that mean, you know, I just want to sit around and drink iced tea all day? Is that, you know, I like doing that. Is that relaxed enjoyment? And that wasn't what he meant at all. It's one of those terms. That's, that's really what you think about initially is just lying in a chair in the sun, drinking an iced tea. But what he really meant by that was it's a way of being, which basically affects everything that you do, whatever it is that you're doing. Say so you're a writer or you, you know, you're a carpenter. It almost doesn't matter. But being in a state of relaxed enjoyment enables you to be as completely in your existence as you can be. So it's not so much of a lifestyle. It's a mindset. It is a mindset. So it doesn't mean you don't work. It doesn't mean you're not creative. It means that you operate your life through this point of view or this mindset of relaxed enjoyment. You know, it actually took me a while to get it because I was a bit obsessed with success back in those days. And you can have success and have relaxed enjoyment at the same time. Exactly. So how do you do that? I think the first thing is just being in the now. It's something that meditation enables you to do. You experience your reality in a way that you're unable to when your mind is somewhere else. And also what Ken explained too is that you're not under stress. So relaxed enjoyment in a way is the opposite of stress. Correct. It's a feeling of being secure in a way that there's no fear. But the idea is to be there as much as possible. And I think the end game in that state is how much more you'll experience life in a joyful way. I think that's the key. Because when you're not in that state, something is not right. Something is going on that's causing you to, like you said, feel stress. Right. Because this is where we're programmed to live in those centers of fear, guilt, and shame. Then you asked him, so what are the barriers to happiness? Being able to be in that state of relaxed enjoyment. Then he goes into this whole idea of fear, guilt, and shame preventing us from being happy. And he does. But the question is, and he goes into this in depth in his 
rapid healing seminars and some of the work that we did with the pathways to higher consciousness is how do you unwind that? How do you unprogram or deprogram yourself from those, those emotions, which are destructive and they really don't. And honestly, they don't serve you. Fear, guilt, and shame doesn't serve any human being. It's, and, and it's put upon us and as people like to control us with fear, guilt, and shame. And our parents, you know, taught us, fear, guilt, and shame, you know, by what we couldn't do. And we're bad if we think this, or we're bad if we do that. Right. Yeah. I have a question for you. So do you think people are actually aware that they've been pro, I mean, I'm talking about the general population, not people that necessarily are, are Zygon mind warriors, but in the, in the general population, do you think people are aware of their programmed fear, guilt, and shame? Honestly, no. Yeah. I don't think so either. You know, that requires some introspection, some ability to sort of self-assess and to self-analyze. So if you have no self-awareness that your system, your operating system in life is being controlled by fear, guilt, and shame, you know, how do you know how to get help? How do you know how to like unwind that? What Ken Kais did as much as anything else was to, to bring that awareness as a voice to express that. I think he had a tremendous impact on the world. And maybe people that had never thought about it before, here's this amazing human being, this gentle, loving person say, you know, the reasons why you are having so many issues in your life, the reason that you're not happy, the reason that you're not achieving what you want to achieve, because you have learned behaviors that were ingrained in you from childhood. And I think if you just ask the question, I've asked it of numbers of people in my life, are you happy? And usually the happiness is conditional, right? Right. So the happiness is conditioned on, well, I would be happier if I made more money or if I just lost that extra weight or gosh, if, you know, somebody loved me better or I got attention or whatever it is, it's conditional. A very few people, if you actually say, are you happy? will say, I am. And then if you drill down deeper, well, okay, well, why aren't you happy? The superficial rational rationalizations that they give it's really not, has nothing to do with that. If you lead them down that path, if you lead most people that are willing to be led down that path, they'll get to the point where they'll, they will admit that they're not as happy as they want to be. There's something holding them back. Right. And if they're afraid of living their life to the fullest possible extent, or they feel guilty about their past, uh, these are barriers. Then the question is asking someone, are you willing to do what's necessary, what it takes to, to be happy, to change what needs to be changed so that you can experience life in a joyful, loving, wonderful way? Right. And he also says being connected to the universe through love. And I ask him, what is, what is that? What is un- unconditional love? Unconditional love is loving yourself and loving everyone else without conditions. And you, and you think people can do that? I think that is the hardest thing to do. Love yourself unconditionally. How many people can really do that? Well, not if you're filled with fear, guilt, and shame. It's pretty hard to do. That's correct. And he also says before you can love anyone else unconditionally, you have to love yourself. And so to do that, you really have to, to self-assess, to really understand who you are. Do that happiness check. Am I truly happy? Are there things that cause me not to be happy about myself. You know, we're not perfect. And he says that. Right. We are humans. We make mistakes. We're fallible. We have to have this love for ourselves that 
allows us to, to, to forgive. If we do something stupid, we need to be able to forgive ourselves for that. And, I'll, and also to understand why we do what we do. And that goes again back to those behaviors that we learned in childhood. And then the feelings that they evoke of fear, guilt, and shame. And having to deal with that. I mean, those are, those are programs that we run all the time. And the key is, how do you deal with that? How do you get rid of those programs? Right. And Zygon has the technology that helps people to reprogram and to rescript those behaviors. Right. But it's not instant. See, that's the other thing too, is I think people, people in our society, everything is like push button instantaneous. If you, if it took you 40 years of living to reinforce that fear, guilt, and shame, you're not going to, you're not going to reverse it in like 10 minutes. Right. You know, it's going to, it's going to take some work on yourself to do that. I think the, the miracle though, is that when you start seeing how much, how different you feel with your interactions with other people, your work, uh, that's when that's the reinforcement that oh, this is I'm on the right track. There is something to this. Right. Where's the alignment with Ken and his perspective and his beliefs and his ideas with Zygon and our mission? The goals are the same. When the goal is that if you can create a new mind that operates from this higher consciousness perspective, you get a more uh, balanced, a more successful human being. And they can't, look, here's how this whole thing works. They can't help but not infect everybody else they come in contact with. Right. So, so the mission, and we talked about the mission, that was our very first podcast. That's the mission of Zygon. It's just actually the mission of humanity. It's not just about our company um, objective, but it's about actually creating better human beings. That's what Ken was all about. What Ken operated it from, which Zygon operates it from as well, but more from a, as a tool maker, Ken is a philosopher and also providing processes and systems, was about making that human being not only self-aware, but also giving them the ability to reframe that fear, guilt, and shame, take that damaged inner child away, and create a more whole human being. So that, his whole mission was all about that. And he, his, I think the difference is we talk in terms of technology and tools. He used the term love. This concludes part one of Dane's 1993 interview with Ken Kyes. Please listen to part two for the conclusion of this historic recording. There is a power that lies dormant within each of us. A creative force waiting to be awakened. Potentials of mind science barely understands. Harnessing the energies of consciousness is the next chapter in human evolution. Join us as we explore the secrets of mind and the technology and people behind the revolution. This is the Mind Warrior Project. This is Zygon.